Welcome to Becoming Muse, where we discuss powerful ways to merge spirituality and practicality. I'm your host, Ashlyn Kristoff. So I would love to welcome my guest to the podcast, Glenn Cohen, who has written two phenomenal books that I have had the pleasure to dive into, um, Neurological Intelligence. And I would love for you to help explain to the audience what neurological intelligence is. Well, that's a heck of a question to start out with. So neurological intelligence is, it has become like a new modality in that it helps people understand how our inner world works. So many people spend so much time, energy, and attention in the external world, becoming masters of whatever, Right. really don't know how this incredible human supercomputer works and how, with intention, we can manage it much better than if we, we think we can. Right. So volume one of my book series helps people understand how their system works. Volume two helps them learn strategies, tools, and techniques to work their system. Mm-hmm. And then volume three, which will come out this summer, is all for couples. Perfect. I love that. I didn't I didn't know there was a volume three coming. There is. That's a that's a that's a good little uh, like the little cherry on top. You know, it's like yeah. I would say you know, whenever couples interview me for coaching, mm-hmm. I always use the same, you know, um intro say it takes two eyes to make a we. And I want to know my eyes before we work on the we. Right. All are bringing so many multiple personalities and different aspects of self. And, you know, as those combine, it makes it really interesting. Yeah. It's it's amazing that we've actually been able to uh, do it for so long, you know, have these relationships that can work really well, um, bringing these completely different imprinted worlds together. So yeah, that's that's a like that's a whole other level too because oh, yeah. you know, some of so much of us who have so many of us who have started to dive into self-help and really trying to uncover these emotional wounds that we've experienced from childhood, but from my understanding, it's almost preconcept is before birth, you know, it's conception to three years, it tends to be this really powerful time where we have um, the the best chance of imprinting on our children the what we would like to see them evolve with. My question to you is, how how is this neurological intelligence connected to the programming that we receive as children? Well, that I can answer that one or two ways. Are we answering that as an adult trying to work on ourselves? Or are we answering that mm-hmm. as a prospective parent and how we can minimize the damage we do to our children? That's a great, okay. So let's go with the adult trying to work on ourselves and then I will go back to the parent. Okay. Yeah. So in volume one, the guide to the um, human operating system, we learn 
that we start developing implicit memory in the third trimester, yeah. right? And then in the first 18 months of life, approximately, is the attachment stage of development. Right. So whether we come out of that stage with secure or insecure attachment is going to determine really the next couple of years because it builds off of it. Particularly when it comes to our committed love relationships, nobody can piss us off more than that committed love partner. That mm -hmm. is their job, actually. That is their purpose, <laughs> is to hold up a mirror to reflect back to us and awaken those parts of us. Because nobody, can, we're, we're not vulnerable to that level and to that imprinting as we are with that person. Right, so right, it, okay. So at the beginning of the committed love relationships are all, you know, um, the honeymoon stage, everything's great. But then at some point, the attachment sets in and that's what awakens it. Okay. And so that's our greatest laboratory to do our work. Mm. Now, if you're not in a relationship and you can look back on previous relationships, you can look and find where you got triggered and how you protected yourself. And what I like to have people do is in the moment you get triggered, I ask the question, how old do you feel? And it's going to be much younger. So I like to say, we get triggered if our nervous system activates above a certain level, we start thinking and acting like a child or a reptile. Mm -hmm. Because we hit the brainstem, fight, flight, freeze. So we regress back in time. We go back to crocodile days and the two get mixed up together. And that's when you know uh, partners will look at us and go, who, who are you? Right. Stay, they go, what, what happened to you? You One minute you were fine, next minute you were gone. And right. they have the idea that you're in a world just got triggered and you just got overwhelmed. And either we go one or two ways. Either we go rigid, shut down, move away, mm -hmm. or shut down, shout out, move against. Everybody has their own, I like to call it special, unique brand of weirdness. Yeah, yeah. No, and this was a bit, I mean, this is a part of the book where I was, uh, you know, I had actually written a bunch of notes down um, in regards to that. Because you you mentioned facial expression, tone of voice, body language, and how the, that the person can literally, and I, and the truth is, this is actually coming from a personal experience of my own and my last relationship where the person would do these uh, facial expressions and, and everything about him reflected my mother. And it was like to a T. And I, oh, oh, so here's the deal. Oh. Here's the deal. Yeah. He didn't reflect him. No, no, no. He was he was um, triggering perceive, my memory of it. You right? perceived yes a nonverbal signal. So nonverbals, ninety three percent of how we make sense of others is nonverbal. Mm -hmm. It is the megaphone of the unconscious mind, which, as you know, is ninety ninety five percent of everything we do. All the unresolvedness is unconscious until we bring it conscious and we can work with it. Right. So you perceived in him something that was uniquely similar in context yeah. as your mother, which neurologically linked. And when you got triggered, how old did you feel? That's exactly, that's probably 
I mean, I don't know because it's been, she still does it to this day. So I still do that. I get repulsed by it. I literally, I'm like, nope, I don't want anything to do with you. Well, you know what you need to Very do? Very interesting. Today is yeah. You need to do a thank you note and send it to this gentleman and thank him for holding up a mirror, reflecting back to you exactly where you need to do your work and also to your mom. Right. Because today she has nothing to do with that. Because as an adult, you have a chance for choice for how you make sense of her nonverbals. So if this gentleman, if if your name was Sue Mary or Jane, mm -hmm. you would never perceive his nonverbal that way because you have a reference from your past of your mom for what that nonverbal meant to you, which I do everything really simplistically because yeah. you know, very simplistically complex machines. Either it's green or red, either it's green empowered, red disempowered. So in some way, shape or form, you imprinted that nonverbal of your mom in a red, and it meant danger to you to yeah. some level, emotionally, neurologically, environmentally, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. That's all context. So but my question would be, how do you clear it? How do you take that trigger where to me it's judgment and it's condescending and it's very um critical it's a mm. critical everything about how i was raised and how i perceived to have been programmed and raised ah. is very critical i was critiqued very harshly um so how do i remove that you know that's my that's where i'm and i'm i think it's probably in book 2 when i get there but could you explain to us how do what's an easy way to just notice it? Because I think that's a, the awareness around something is such a big part of clearing it, right? Bringing awareness to it and then being able to say, okay, I need to work on this. What's a way to work on it? So, wow, a couple of things. Number one, AWA. So as you know, by reading my book, I'm a severe acronym junkie. Yes. Um, and I have all the, a whole dictionary on my website. So AWA, A-U-A, it is the basis for everything. Okay. Awareness. You have to have an awareness that you are looking in a mirror and you need to do something. The second letter is you understanding of a strategy tool technique to create the change. It's the third letter, A, application. Applying those strategy tools, that's where everybody stumbles. People get an awareness. Hey, I got to do something about this. They learn a technique, but then they don't follow through and do it with repetition. Because as we know, repetition is the mother of all learning, right? Right. So coming to your question, there are two distinct ways. We have two patterns we work with. One is the present pattern that is causing you to be challenged in some way that's getting you to act out that's not your mindful empowered self okay so that's a present pattern of the way you're thinking feeling behaving and the story you're telling yourself right mm -hmm. so that's one set then it's the unresolved little girl in you who way back when perceived that she was being criticized and judged and had mm -hmm. an impactful neurological experience that metaphorically fractured her nervous system and now she's stuck frozen in time with two things because all we are is energy and information the painful emotions probably sadness and shame and mm -hmm. then the disempowered belief i'm not enough uh you know 
um, um, you know, it could be anything. I'm not lovable. I'm not enough. Right. I'm not acceptable. I don't belong. Whatever somebody makes up, right? Right. 90% of most of my clients wounding is perception, not reality. Very few is really a, we call it big T trauma event. Yeah. So going back to interrupting the pattern. So first we have to notice that a shift has happened in our inner world. So in volume two, section two, I begin to explore the basis for how to work with that. And the, the foundational concept is stimulus gap choice. Okay. So once a minute, your physiology is fine. Mm -hmm. Then you had a perception of this person who had this nonverbal that in a nanosecond linked up to that reference and altered your physiology because of the meaning you assigned to it. So now you have a body sensation. Yeah. Usually in the lower five chakras, throat, heart, solar plexus, gut groin. It's going to be some unique body sensation that becomes your early warning alarm signal. And it's mm. trying to wake you up and go, yo, wake up upstairs. It's trying to wake up your prefrontal cortex, your conscious mind, right. in order to interrupt it. Now, normally when we get triggered, the gap of time between that stimulus and our choice is nada. So we immediately get reactive, chaos or rigid. We make everything about ourselves because we're in danger, right? Right. Everybody becomes a narcissist when they're triggered. Yeah. And then we either go to sadness, irritation, we move away, move against, and we tell a story that we're a victim and we have no choice. And we mm -hmm. give away our personal power and I call it the low road. Okay. Okay. So we can apply Thanks. neurological uh, techniques and increase the gap at least 10, 15 seconds. It gives us a chance to make a new choice. So we can go, whoa, what is that? We could take three, I call them four, six, eight intentional breaths, breathe out, get your nervous system deactivated. And then there's quite a few strategies and tools we can put in there. Um, one of them is the challenge question. You can ask yourself, what would I have to believe in order to feel this way? Mm -hmm. And then you put it through the TFQ filter. True, false, questionable. So what that does is it changes your focus. So if the, it's like a lighthouse. If, if you're pointing north, you go, those beams are, are looking that way. But if you can alter it to the east, it's a totally different view. So you're altering that focus, which is going to alter the physiology of your system. Get your nervous system back below, I call it a three. Right. In order for you to now respond instead of react. Okay. And when you do that over and over and over again, you start changing the reference in the unconscious mind from red to green. I see. Okay. That's my, that no, that makes sense. So you you it's almost like a reframing, taking a minute, stepping back, and Absolutely. then responding. So respond versus react. Right. But most of the time people are on autopilot. They just of gone. course. Yeah. They don't hold themselves accountable. Right. Of course. And, 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 you know, somebody who sees this is, and this is probably how my brain works is I see signs and, and synchronicities and, and all those types of, you know, people can say woo woo, you know, things. And I automatically will think that that's a red flag for that 
person. Oh, I'm not actually supposed to be with that person because they clearly are not safe. From from that's how I perceive it. That's my perception. So it's interesting to think almost reverse of that, that there's something actually going on within me that I need to clear to change that pattern from showing up, if you Possibly. Will. Now, if they're walking around with cleaver knives hanging off of their belt, I would right. say, right. Right. So I always like to say, evaluate everything based on its own context. Uh, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, if it's a perception that you have, and it's happened a couple of times, and you can look back and go, yeah. hmm, that's really interesting. Right. Is that a... Which way is my finger pointing, right? And you kind of go, well, that's interesting. And you get curious and you evaluate it and not judge it. So the the unconscious mind loves to judge because it's very self-protective. But if we can evaluate it with curiosity and inquisitiveness, Mm -hmm. we come up with different answers. Okay. So, so So not just myself, but others, they should be evaluating each situation Because then we're talking, when we talk about traumas or we talk about um, programmed, you know, wounds from the past, there are some that are worse than others. Even though in in the book, I did read uh, a part where you said someone could have a trigger imprinted from a scary movie that they watched as a child. And someone could have the same trigger or a trigger from actual abuse. And how those uh, memories, let's say, or programmed energy in the body can actually be the same. Absolutely. So the quote at the back cover of volume one is, it's not what happens to you, it's what happens within you. Hmm. Because the unconscious mind doesn't care. So I base it, you know, in order to quantify and help my clients, I have something called the NSI, nervous system index, zero to 10. So zero to three is just being human. You're irritated, you're peeved, whatever, you know, that we're all imperfect people, right? Stuff happens, no problem. Between three and six, it's like, okay, you better start paying attention. When we cross six, that's threshold. Okay. Usually that's when we go fight, flight, freeze. That's when we have an impactful neurological experience. Above a six, an adult means we're shutting down, running away, or we are just act like a child or reptile. Mm-hmm. So it, everything is context related. So, you know, some if you've been working on your unresolved wounds, and if you only get triggered to two, three, eh, don't waste your time. Fine. Mm-hmm. That's just, okay, you're human. You know, God bless. But if you're going above a six, you better pay attention because the universe will keep bringing you that until you learn your lesson and do it or else you're just going to keep suffering. Okay. So, so either we progress sideways or regress. Right. Right. So what would your so your so the opinion for let's say someone had a terrible abuse as a child whether it was uh, I mean I don't want to dive into this too much but uh, sexual molestation. Right? Mm-hmm. And throughout their growing up, they they basically have no self. Their, their self worth keeps getting lower and lower. And as they get older, they out- attract a partner 
who is less than kind to that that person. Right. Right? right. This seems to be something that I've seen quite a bit in it's in the Imago attack complex. Okay. Now so, how do they break the program of it's it's like, you know, somebody like myself can say you need to find your self-worth and and really value and love who you are. I mean, and that's such a you know, that's not even going deep. It's just me trying to get the person to see who they are, who truly are. Yeah. But breaking that pattern from the childhood is such a, I, how would you suggest even going about something like that? Depends on where the person is at the time. Okay. Are they in a relationship? Not in a relationship. Usually they're in a relationship. And if they've had that type of trauma, they'll probably have some element of codependency. And I use Pia Melody's um, concept of uh, the five core issues. And usually that person will find another person who is also codependent, but on the opposite side mm -hmm. of the scale. And it's so amazing how often this happens. And that's, the Imago attachment complex. And I explained all that in volume three, but it's why we attract into people we attract. So right. if they're in the relationship, then it's for that person is using the strategies of the five core issues, self-esteem boundaries, knowing your knowingness, owning your reality, because the other person is going to mess with your reality in order to try to control you. Right. Right. Make you less than because that's the, that's their job. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, get your needs and wants met and moderate your inner world, those five core issues. So it's them actually doing the work inside the laboratory of setting boundaries, getting their needs and wants met, not letting anybody mess with their minds and, and going through it. I always tell people, you know, everybody says, I want to go over it. I want to go around it. I want to, no, 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 no. You have to go through it. Mm -hmm. It's like, Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, you yeah. have to go into the cave and face your greatest fear to come out to the other side and get your bliss. Right. There's no difference here. You have to go in the lab and get really uncomfortable and stay in that uncomfortableness, whatever that is for you, until you become comfortable with that which was once uncomfortable. And that's where growth lies. Mm. That's where growth lies. And that person who's going to have low self-esteem doesn't honor their boundaries, doesn't own their realities, doesn't get their needs and wants met, and doesn't moderate them. That is the laboratory of doing the work. And at some point, they're going, either the other partner joins them in the journey, yeah, or they get so strong, they enforce the final boundary. Right, right. Whatever's right for them, because I, I, it's never my agenda. It's whatever's right for my client. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's something that I've seen, you know, over and over again through the course of my, whether it's you know my own work and and I work with a lot of young girls and 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 guys who are kind of coming into that tw mid twenties age range, and a lot of the stuff that they've experienced starts to really surface. Totally. And you start to, it's almost like you start to become so, they, they are now so aware of it. At a younger age, where I think for, for us, for our little older generation, it started to kind of come out later. Where yeah, this know, one, it's like coming out earlier. We didn't have this information. Right. I mean, attachment yeah. theory is, you know, it's relatively new in the you know, 80s, 90s. You know, 
so much of the, the pioneering work of the people that I studied that laid the foundation for me to create this new modality was from the 70s on. So it's really new now, the, the younger generation, the ones that are open to, to being in this space and learning it, oh, or just leads some bounds of awareness to where now they just need strategies and tools for actually doing yeah. the work inside. Because really people, once they have, it's like I tell people, I've got a great blueprint. Mm -hmm. I could draw you an unbelievable house. I have these amazing tools, but I can't do, I can't build for you. Yeah. You have to learn the tools and then use them over and over and over again. And before you know it, your dream house will be built. And that's right. the only way it's built. People have got to do their own work. Nobody could do it for them. Right. Well, it's so true. It's so true. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the reclaiming process because you touch on it in your book and I am interested in, you know, we've, we've spoken about a, a couple different techniques, but really reclaiming, you know, our true power, our, our authentic power, how, what would you say would be one, one of the, not quickest, but one of the first steps going about how to do that? So the reclaiming journey, as we talked earlier, there are two ways of working with the inner world. One is the current day patterns. Mm -hmm. We use strategies, tools, techniques, stimulus gap choice. But the wounded younger ones, whether it's a child or an adolescent, somewhere in that range, yeah, we use a reclaiming process. And I use, I call them strategic, intentional, meditative experiences. So the biggest quote that I have is, you have to let go of the present in order to let go of the past. You can't go into this reclaiming process with your thinking left brain. Okay. Because you won't have access to the unconscious mind because you're going to analyze, logicalize, and rationalize. You're going to be stuck upstairs. You mm -hmm. have to be able to go downstairs and allow it to unfold. And I, I there's a nine-step process that at step eight is where you literally inside an experience because everything is experiential we get wounded by experience through sensory data mm. we heal the same way but mm. now we have a choice in how we create the sensory data right we yeah. can't change what happened to us but we absolutely can change how we made sense of it right that's the key so we go through uh, an amazing journey it takes depends on people hour hour and a half. Okay. Or I call them nubs. Yeah. Where the true soul of the client goes back and goes through this process of revealing the unresolvedness, releasing the emotions and the disempowered beliefs, mm -hmm. and rescuing. The unconscious mind will actualize that which the conscious mind chooses to believe. So if we choose to believe it's true, guess what? Yeah, it's true. You got it. Yeah. Just like we did as kids. 90% of our wounding is because we chose to believe. That's where belief comes from. We made a decision that this means that. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Fine. We can reverse it. 
Okay. I love I love this. No, the nine step process is it in book one? I cover it in section three of volume two, very globally. Okay. The step one are three exercises to meet the three aspects of the inner world because three distinct aspects. So it introduces people to find out their nubs, their pods, their mouth. And then step two, three, or four, I have audio files on the website and a QR code in volume two for the initial steps to practice learning how to let go of the present. Mm. And then in step four, you go meet this higher version of you and really start to solidify that. So we have access to that as we go step four through nine, which is a deeper work, which I thought about putting in the book, but it's like, I felt that that would not be ethical because what if somebody got stuck somewhere without any help? I didn't feel comfortable. So it's only going to be like workshops. Okay. Or I'm going to start doing, you know, workshops uh, in person online. Okay. So they can find you, um, they can find you and book a session online or book a, a workshop. Okay. Um, because I, I truly feel like that is the, the core of what would, it, that we really need to know. I feel like if pe- we can walk people through steps, if, if you could walk people through the steps of how to re- the reclaiming process and how to clear it out. Um, I mean, say you did that at 16, let's say, you know, it, it would just shift the direction of your life completely. Unbelievably. And yeah. that's actually one of my goals is to create a high school course with that. Mm-hmm. I think from 16 to 18 ish, that's somewhere in that range for the. Yeah. Just yeah. even them having the information about how their system works. Right. It's, it's, a, it's something that we are not taught. We are not taught about any of it no. at all. And ever, and you know, you grow up and you just become. Okay, figure it out. You got to figure out why you're emotionally, you know, feeling wounded all the time and, you know, why you cry all the time or why you're depressed. And they want to, you know, our society tends to give medication versus in, you know, doing inner work um, 100% of the time. So now is the time to start to get these programs to our youth. And I'm a firm believer in that because. They, these kids, these kids now are so much more aware and so much more awake as well um, than any generation. I think that that's how evolution happens is they keep coming in more and more uh, knowledgeable. So, well, particularly now with the advent of technology, and you look at Moore's law, where they said, you know, every seven years, the, the, the leap is, you know, three, four, five times more. Yeah. So, the ad, you know, advent of technology, the, the information available, but even just kids knowing about, you know, half of you got a secure attachment bond and half of you have an insecure attachment bond. And if you have an insecure, you got three different types. And so there's nothing wrong with you if you have an anxious or avoidant or disorganized attachment. It's you're blessed because now you get to do your work twice as much. So let's talk a little bit about attachment styles. I, I've been hearing actually a lot about it recently because I've had a few people in my life who've had babies and they're doing uh, a lot more reading, I feel like, than I even did with my children. Um, What are the attachment styles and how 
um, how do we, how would, how would we even control what our, how our children attach? Can't, can't control it. You can manage it to the best of your ability, but you're perfectly imperfect. No parent. So the primary attachment question that a baby's unconscious mind asks and is the exact same question we ask of our committed love partners. Are you there for me the way I need you when I need you the most? Mm. Nobody's going to answer that. Yes, all the time. It's impossible. Right, right. right. So the, the question is, if a primary caregiver can be there the way a baby needs, what a baby needs the most, 80% of the time, and the 20% they can't, they recognize it and are able to allow the baby to express and self-soothe their nervous system so they learn to self-soothe, then that's, they'll have a secure attachment box. But it's, so in volume one, I tell the story of the bucket. Mm-hmm. So you have one big bucket and I throw a trauma rock in there and the bucket is full, right? Right. Take the rock out, not throw 25 rocks in there. And by the 25th rock, the bucket's full again. Well, the bucket doesn't care whether it's one rock or 25. It's full, it's full, it's full. Mm-hmm. If you go to NSI 10 and 10, it doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. But the repetition, the frequency, intensity, duration of those 25 over time has a much greater impact on the condition of that bucket than the one boulder. So it's this mm-hmm. repet. You know, humans are we we are all yeah. we're built off of the repetition. It's the mother of all learning. And so when a primary caregiver is doing it in some way, shape, or form, because remember, what is the baby reading? Nonverbals. That's why ninety percent is nonverbal. That's all the baby does is nonverbal. You know, the tone of voice, the facial expression, right. and most importantly, energy emission through the mirror neuron system. You know, it's like your committed love partner comes in the room and you don't even see them, but you can feel their energy before you even put your eyes on them. Mm-hmm. You can that's your mirror neurons and energy emissions. So babies are really, you know, that's all they are. They're pure unconscious mind. So if you can manage that and then be really mindful of your baby's nonverbals and when see they're in distress and you can help them express the distress and get their NSI, their nervous system, back below a three as quickly as possible, you're teaching them to manage their own nervous system. Mm, okay. That's a secure attachment. Okay. And then insecure attachment, you mentioned there were three different types. Yeah. The first one is anxious. Okay. Which shows up in a committed love relationship as, you know, if I say I'm going to call you at seven and I'll call you 715 and your NSI goes to an eight. <laughs> right. So I'm out doing something, but you know, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some, some yeah, something must have happened. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, totally yeah. mixed, right? Or you know, uh, you 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 get a relationship and and you you get your partner gets too close and you feel, oh, I, I gotta go, you know, I gotta get in. And then the disorganized, you have to have a lot of empathy for because they bounce back and forth between the two. Oh. So disorganized. Your sense of whomever is safe is danger in your unconscious mind. It doesn't know the difference. So you oh. grew up in a home where you're, you're, the person who should be your safety was really your danger. So you couldn't make sense of it. Mm-hmm. And so you waffle between the two, you know, and, you know. 
that's interesting. That's probably where my, where I feel my attachment style would be. That's where my mind. Okay. Okay. So interesting. Um, So how do you, how, what do you, so once that awareness for the attachment style, how do you rework that? Where would, I mean. Well, again, depends on whether you're in a relationship or not, because there's two okay. different laboratories. If well, you're let's say you're not in a relationship. Then you need to find a place to make yourself really uncomfortable. Mm. It's all okay. in the uncomfortableness. Okay. And then you just stay there? Like you just go into Depends that on the context of the situation? Yeah. Okay. You're not going to put yourself in physical danger. Well, mine would be like a like a, a, a room with screaming people, you know, like chaotic, kind of violent mm-hmm. screaming people. That would make me very uncomfortable because that is kind violent of violent or chaotic. On. There's a difference. Well, the well, so I grew up with a schizophrenic brother who was very violent, and 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 a mother who was. A, like a screamer so it was it was a a combination that I don't think I mean I'm sure people have experienced but it's a it was a mental health combination that I don't I don't think I could have put into words other than I thought everyone around me was crazy you know and so um so in, when I get into situations where there's a lot of confrontation or there's yelling or there's this potential threat of violence, I be that's where I am the most uncomfortable. I totally get that. So first, tremendous empathy for those little girls who went through all that. Right. My guess is you doing what you do, you grew up as a hotly sensitive person, and it's probably just baked into your genes. That'd be my first guess. Right. So you were re- I'm very sensitive to sensory data, particularly now. So it's all the work I've done on myself. It's like, you know. Right. So yeah, you need to find the a context, multiple contexts. Start low, go slow, where you have an overload of sensory data, where you're physically safe, but Sensory data is coming in and it's making you uncomfortable and you stay there. And you use meditative techniques. You use your breath. And the two most important neurological instruments, number one is AI, active imagination. It's the basis for all neuroplasticity. The second, I call it back it up, VAK. Visual, auditory, kinesthetic, the three most important sensory modalities. So if I say, Ashley, go and imagine yourself sitting on a beach and you just see yourself in a chair on a beach, there's hardly any sensory data. Mm. If you do it using SIMIs, the approach I teach, you see everything, the sky, the clouds, the water, the, the sunlight sprinkling off the water, the ripples of the water, you feel the air, you feel the sand on your feet, the birds, the, you see the, the plants. So mm-hmm. I call it creating a Mel Mini movie with massive amounts of sensory data because we're wounded that way. So mm-hmm. in order to interrupt a program, we need to overload it 
with new sensory data that's light, humorous, relaxing, very, very green. So when you do that over and over again, and you stay with whatever's uncomfortable until you become comfortable, then you take it up another notch and do the same thing. And you take it up another notch until you can go home for the holidays and your NSI doesn't go above a three. Mm. Then you know you've done the best you can. Okay. But I would start, you know, I don't know what it is for you. Uh, Maybe it's a concert or a particular movie or you go into a loud club or something was to censor data, chaos, particularly like, you know, a club with all the lights and the booms and the sound. Right. Right. Whatever it is for you that makes you, that activates that energy. Yeah. And you slowly use uh, four, six, eight intentional breathing technique, the transfer and transform exercise, which is step five in the reclaiming process, where mm-hmm. you literally imagine your mind, the energy in your body and moving it out. Okay. So you convince yourself, you're, you know, and you come up with a metaphorical image because the unconscious mind loves symbols and metaphors and analogies. It's, a, it's like a, a six-year-old, second grade language. Oh, yeah. I think. Right? Yes, I do. it'll believe just got to do a repetition okay okay that was i mean that's yeah thank you for that um i know that got a little uh, personal for me for everyone but that's that's where i want i want every everybody who's listening to understand that we all come in with these weird situations and and everybody has their own brand of it and it's how do we tap into what is still with us today that continues to attract or um, we continue to see old patterns showing up and that yeah you know we're we're all wounded every person on this earth to some degree right and that's our journey together it's like but i deeply appreciate you being Open, honest, vulnerable, and real is my acronym, HAVOR. Of course. Honest, authentic, open, vulnerable, real. To share that with your listeners, because that's how we connect. It's like, oh my gosh, my unconscious mind is going, oh my gosh, you're just like me. Now I can relax and trust you because I relate to it. Right. So many people are scared to speak about it because of the judgment of others when you know, as I tell everybody who comes to my office, there's never, ever judgment. Right. There can't, I mean, there can't be when you're doing this type of work. It really. People have got, I mean, the three most important neurological needs are safety, certainty, and trust. Mm-hmm. And when those get threatened, violated, or ruptured, that's when the activation happens inside, whether real or imagined, because the unconscious mind doesn't care. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, and I, those are, I feel like those are my, those three things are constantly in my meditation and in my prayer. Um, yeah, there's a bit, there's, I think everyone must feel this, but maybe some don't. There's a big thing around safety for me and safety um, and protection and just feeling protected and not, um, yeah, not, not in harm's way. Well, I mean, Definitely stems from that. Oh, God bless. If you think about your childhood. I cannot imagine with that little girl, 
with a, you know, a brother with a schizophrenic disorder and a mother who obviously her nervous system was overloaded by the little brother. Gosh knows what right. her childhood wounding with her parents passed down to her and her, you know, lineage that yeah. was coming out there that the brother was triggering into her. So you got chaos all over the place. You probably totally didn't feel physically, neurologically, emotionally, intellectually safe. Right. So it would make total sense to be on a journey. And part of that journey is to find and attract in people who trigger that in you in order for you to create your own safety. Right. Yes. Yes. And is there, is there something where you can actually be too safe, you know, or too, um, my, my, I was reading the pods that you had written out, you know, and the different, the different, so with pods, if you want to explain to our listeners what they are. Um, yeah. So we have, we have three aspects to honor world nubs which are the wounded younger versions of us they're neurological unresolved bundles mm -hmm. so what i tell people and i i forgot what well, i don't know if it's in volume one or two i can't remember uh the the, the analogy and the metaphor for this is there was uh the old terminator 2 movie so in the movie there was a liquid metal guy that comes back from the future and of course they blow him up a couple of times and every time they blow him up he separates into 100 round silver balls and all of a sudden, they start wiggling and jiggling and reform the liquid metal guy. Mm -hmm. And it's very analogous to our nervous system. So we have these impactful neurological experiences. It's like, blah. But the vast majority of time, everything comes back and we're fine. Right. But every so often, one of those balls don't come back. And it's stuck out on the concrete all alone and totally vulnerable. That's enough. Mm -hmm. And inside that, are the painful emotions and the disempowered beliefs emulating from that experience. Now, since it's out there all alone, it looks over and says, hey, guy, well, a couple of y'all come over here and protect me. So now we start creating our multiple personalities, right? Because we all have them. Mm -hmm. Everybody has multiple personalities. It's not a disorder. It's a human <laughs> experience. So we, we create three, five, seven of them. Everybody's got a few right. to protect these younger versions because they can't be vulnerable. You know, mm -hmm. there wasn't anybody there to be there for us the way we needed when we needed most to express and to process the anger, the sadness, the fear, the shame, to help us work through the disempowered beliefs. We we reframe the experience. Now, most of us didn't have that, right? Yeah. So that's the second aspect of the pods, personalities of offensive and defensive strategies that we created but when we become adults, they don't know that we are 30, 40, 56 years old. They still think we're the same age because they also were stuck frozen in time. Right. So, you know, we get triggered. All of a sudden, you know, the control freak or um, uh, the asshole, which, you know, a lot of uh, guys can relate to it and women know very well from their relationship. They come out and they they just hijack us. Right. I know. Turn to somebody else, right? Yes. And then the third aspect is Mel, the mindful, empowered leader about a world that lives by those values in there. And it's the highest version of ourself, our true heart and soul. When we're grounded and centered, we know who we are. Right. It's when we get triggered 
that becomes our greatest opportunity for healing and growth. And when we when we have the unresolvedness, and it's really interesting, I'm in the process of already updating volume one. Okay. So there's a new poem that's going to go in there. The one that's in there is an invitation to join. It was cute. Eh. But it came to me, I, I, I did another um, retreat at the end of October, September and October, actually. Okay. And it came to me, it's called neurological freedom. And that's the ultimate goal. Mm. Mm-hmm. When you really resolve the inner world, you have neurological freedom. And nobody or nothing can really mess with you in a world above a three. Right. I love that. Yeah, I, I, I that that resonates quite a bit. I think um, the freedom of our minds and our inner working, I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. How to, how to free ourselves from this, you know, old, weird energy or crap or wounding that continues to um, wreak havoc on, on lives and on families. Huge. And we pass it down because it's called family legacy. So, you know, uh, that's, when I work with younger couples who have young kids, I said, that's my number one goal is how can I get you to minimize you not messing up your kids as much as possible? Because right. you got to do it. It's going to happen because you're human. But can we minimize you passing down family legacy? If we could do that, that's a win for us. It would be a huge win. I, I'm always curious to like, I, I, you know, I have two, two boys. One's 21, Jack's 21. So I've got, and so I've gone through the majority of, you know, even the teen, well, I went through all the teenage years and then even him trying to be a young adult and him figuring it out and the mistakes that have been made. And then I have a 10 year old who is, um, very active and very strong willed and very strong opinions. And, and I think back to their childhoods and Jack was so easygoing. Kid was so easy and such a loving, kind soul. Um, and then Beckett came in as a challenge. He just came in as like, I'm going to challenge you, mom, and I'm going to (laughs) make things happen, whether you want them to or not. And I feel like I didn't know quite how to parent him as well as I, as I did even with Jack. And, um, so it's, so it's almost like there's no one recipe for how you can, how these kids actually come out. Um, so how, how often did Beckett hit the chaos button inside of you and make oh, you uncomfortable? All of the time, because he would hit. You know, he was he was physical. He hit me. He would he would he and he would do these things, these reactions that were. Um, he still has them, and we've had to work on it. But it's this. It's a compulsive. Compulsive is the word. So. Absolutely. It's a. It's almost like you don't know it's what's going to happen when, or you don't know he's going to do it before he does it. And it's as if you say no most of the time, it's like it, no, we're not going to do that. It's a compulsive reaction that is immediate. That I can't, you know, his dad and I have not ever been able to really break because it's, it's who he came in as. And so it's it's almost like, or maybe this was learned behavior in the womb. I don't know, but it just is very, very triggering. Can be very triggering. Well, there is, you know, we have. I don't talk a lot about it because that's not my area of expertise. But when you look at genetics, yeah, particularly epigenetics, come on. 
I mean, so much is passed down through the genes and the DNA, you know, right. from your, your mother and her lineage coming down. Right. I mean, in, in, in your committed love relationships, how often have you been chaos? Not a lot. Thank God. Yeah. That's actually been. Well, hold on. But remember, yeah. okay. I'll we have four pillars of patterns. Mm -hmm. right? You can have them different ways. So thoughts, when you get triggered, are your thoughts racing a thousand miles an hour or colliding with meatballs? Emotions, do you get hot or cold? Behavior, do you move against or away? And the story you tell yourself, are you a victim or a participant? So you break those down. Okay. Some can be chaos. Some can be rigid. Mm -hmm. Don't know. So right. nothing is painted with you know a single brush in neurological intelligence. It's I tell people it's like a twelve slice pizza with lots of toppings. It's never just one thing. Right. It's never context. It's always context, and so so you got to really look at it from different angles and. And you, you, it's like connect the dot books. You know, if you could connect a couple of dots, you go, there's probability there. Right. Because right. who knows, right? right. Yeah. So fascinating. It, it really it, is so fat. It is. It's fascinating because it's, it's, um, I think we're breaking, starting to see the breaking of the codes that we've lived so long with, you know, these, these ancestral, you know, genetic passed down behaviors. They're, I feel like they're starting to finally break. If we do the work. Yeah, of course. But the, right. the light that's being shined on this topic and even through your books okay. and through the work, it's, um, I think we're going to see more success than, than we have in the past. Yeah. I mean, you look at, you know, Joe Dispenza's work with epigenetics, where it, through the use of meditative techniques, it's like a, 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 a keyhole in a door, open, closed, expressed, unexpressed, mm -hmm. that the, the, the postulation is we can impact whether that gene is expressed or not through the focus of our thoughts and our intention. I truly believe we can. And when we, people really are able to let go and have these deeper experiences, and they come out, you can just see it in their face and they're not verbal. Yeah. It's so clear that their unconscious mind believe what happened. And it right. just changed, you know, um, I have tons of quotes and, and, and on the wall of my office and photo frames. And the one that's probably been up there the longest is Wayne Dyer. Mm. He had an unbelievable quote. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. That one quote so true. says everything. Yes. Yes. It does. I mean, I, I've always believed, I, for the longest I can remember, is that your perception uh, is becomes your reality. So it's it's you, what you perceive, you will receive. And it's it's exactly that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's just so many amazing people that I've studied that, I can't even begin to count or thank to help yeah. me create this, but everybody had a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit. And for whatever reason, at the very beginning of my journey, I came up with this crazy idea that my job was to study the best of the best and put it in one place. I don't know how I came up with it, but I did. And that was 2003. 
Was it 2003? That's when I started. Yeah. Before that, I was just a lost soul. Well, you you had pharmacy, but uh, pharma you were to yeah. pharmacy. So yeah, I actually wanted to go to law school. My father had uh, drugstores, so he goes right. me going to pharmacy school. Yeah, I never had made my own choices in life, and I was always controlled by the winds of the world until I crashed and burned so badly from 98, 2003, that the universe just slapped me one more time and said, okay, dude, wake up. It's time to do your work. Right. So that's what began it. It's usually how it happens. It's not right. usually right. like a soft <laughs> nudge. Yeah. It's usually like some chaotic uh, life crisis situation. So it's but like we're, you know, the canvas of a WWE where a you know, <laughs> pound boulder came slapping on top of me. <laughs> right. Right. Well, we're very grateful that you have. And it's been such a pleasure having you on today and, and really diving into this topic and if you could let everyone know where they can find you and how to find your next uh, retreats or, or workshops, that would be great. So the best way to find me is off of my website, centerforni.com. And everything is there. Um, links to the books. Uh, the Resource Center has a ton of resources, uh, meditations that you can listen okay. to, download, um, all my quotes. Uh, dictionaries and upcoming events will be on there. I have to say, if you are looking for something to start this kind of unraveling journey of unpacking um, these um, these triggers, it's a great place to start. So, thank you. You're welcome. So much fun today, and thank you so much for inviting me. Really yes, great. it was lovely having you. 